will fix you. Hello and welcome to We Will Fix You. I have been asked to remind you, do not ask about the heron. We will not tell you again. Now, on a lighter and far less legally parlous note, we have this week a slight change of format. We have asked you all to bear your souls, to tell us those nagging little things that you do or think or feel and suspect deep down may make you just a bit odd. We have asked you, is it just me or does everybody Well, quite what does everybody do? Quite. We shall each pick a couple of your vile and frankly unsettling peccadilloes and try to pretend that you're not a wretched freak, destitute even before the eyes of the darkness in the woods. Joining me tonight to hear your confessions, myself, of course, Roger Hart, codpiece rectifier, third class, Dave. A psychoanalyst, but really just a man with quite a nice sofa that people won't leave alone. Good evening. And was Lucy Boys, chief femur polisher at the local ossuary. Hi. Very shiny. The first question we uh, we had someone write in with, and <laughs> who'd have thought it, these are mostly anonymous, was, um, is it just me who can't relax at a new job until I've had a quick hand shandy in the staff toilets? Now, I don't think it's just you. I used to think this was super weird, because I sort of heard that people do it, and I kind of thought it was super weird. It sort of took, takes me back to boarding school, where people would just beat one out basically anywhere. But mostly not the toilets, because they were horrible. And my general experience of, of, of lavatories is that they're not someone I, somewhere I'd really want to settle down for a wank. But then again, I kind of got to thinking about it. There's a lot of cottaging, a lot of toilet trading. A lot of people have a different aesthetic to me. So maybe that's less of an issue, or, or maybe it's some kind of territory-marking thing? I don't know. You've already pissed there, after all. It's just kind of one step up. Yeah, or some kind of slightly fetishy transgressive inversion thing. So I hear that quite a lot of people feel uncomfortable taking a dump in a novel bathroom, like at a workplace or something. A lot of people take a while to feel comfortable pooping in a new place. And that feels quite primal. That feels like a sort of animal space thing. And I wondered if it's maybe some kind of transgression inversion of that, where you kind of feel empowered by defiling the place. I, I don't know. Anyway, a lot of thoughts slid through my head. And then I remembered the colleague who told me enthusiastically about how much he likes whacking off at work. And I thought, actually, maybe there's just quite a lot of people that love it. Sweet chap, butter wouldn't melt. Loves to toss one off at the office. Well, I mean, I guess you've got your, your, your sort of inverse transgression people, and you've probably also got your people who just want to crack one out off and enough that it doesn't really matter yeah. where, I'd imagine. I mean, wanking is pretty great. It is. I just need more, you know, a power supply and, you know, some preparation, some lying down time, some alone time. I mean, but work plus communal toilets is at never mm. a goer for me. I tried one on a train once, didn't go well. <sighs> Just Work is deadening as well, so mm. un unless all the appetites yeah. except snacks. Yeah, unless your work is particularly stimulating, or you do feel that you are gaining something psychologically by doing this, I can't quite see the appeal. Well, there's a really great picture of Elmo on the toilet with the caption: "Boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. That's why I poop on company time." And I guess wanking kind of falls in that category as well. Yeah. 
yeah. what can I conceivably be paid to do that no one else is really going to massively know about? It depends on how much of a screamer you are, obviously, as well. Well, yeah. There, there is certainly a thrill to getting away with it at work, whatever it may be. Mm. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm going to come down. Like, the consensus in the room, I think it's, well, it's Statistically, not... like we know, we have at least one other person, therefore it is not just you. So, part one, it is not just you. Does everybody? Probably not. Probably not. not. For quite healthy numbers. I wouldn't be surprised, but then I long ago gave up being surprised by anything that humans do. I reckon you're odds on for the office jerk-off. Congratulations. You might be normal. Mr. Convert. Our anonymous questioner asks, Is it just me, or does everyone become convinced they have some incurable illness in the middle of the night when there's no way to check except Google and prayer, then immediately forget about it in the morning? Mr. Hart. I've never done that. What? I, this is, I do this a lot. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not just you, then. So we're chalking it up to not just you? It's okay. definitely not just you. I think the difference... The interesting thing about health anxiety is that there are so many different angles that it can take. So for some people it's, oh god, I've got this terrible thing wrong with me and it's going to be horribly invasive and I'm probably going to die. I mean, I'm sort of constantly worried that I have something horribly wrong with me, but I don't actually ever want to seek treatment for it. I mean, I'm the person who will be up Googling my symptoms, but also just wouldn't phone an ambulance if something did feel horribly wrong. So it's more like, I want to know. I just don't want to do anything about it. Mm. Whereas other people seem to manifest it by going to the doctor a lot and getting a lot of tests and checks and stuff, which is not really better than my style. This does, I mean, this does sound very similar to the question asked. I mean, I will sort of worry about aches and pains in my chest because I am a 36-year-old man. This is about the time we start falling over. But at the same time, I don't, yes, seek treatment or worry particularly, especially as nothing is recurring. Mm. And it doesn't keep me awake at night. So yes, I do worry. No, I don't do that thing as stated. Okay. For me, the interesting one there, that there's a few things fused together, but it's anxiety about thing in the black of the night where you only have limited recourse and then forgetting in the morning. So I don't do it for half anxiety, but I do often have all sorts of weird things that prey on my mind that keep me awake that I will sort of Google and distract myself with and will be completely unable to remember the next day. Mm. Something I think I found, that's pretty usual. Yeah, I found something really good recently for the sort of stopping the rumination is to do the really boring version of the memory palace thing. So instead mm. of building yourself, you know, a magical, wonderful place to relax in your mind, just go through a kind of boring place that you can remember in quite a lot of detail. So I went through my mum's conservatory and just kind of looked at all of her, like, candles and pictures and bookcases and shit and then fell asleep after fixating on a particularly boring candle for a while. It doesn't have to be exciting visualisation. <laughs> There's a thing that I have of being sort of quite easily distracted out of weird moods, mm. and that sort of plays to that, I think. Mm. I quite like the idea of a boring memory palace. Mm. Or sort of a, a Winchester mystery house of ennui. Keep tacking on something dull and listless relentlessly. Over there is the wing of digestive biscuits. Mm. There's the porridge annex. Off-brand tea bags to the left. The 14 degree grey day with no rain. Yeah. Just down the stairs to a disappointing autumn with not enough leaves to kick around. Head to the basement, we've got rusks. Oh. It's a very beige portrait we're painting here. Guest towels. This room is full of guest towels. Old dudes just wearing grey windbreakers and grey shoes. I don't know why we're offering fix. We're not really meant to help other than to reassure clarify. or clarify but mm. 
There you go. That's a fix, isn't it? Mm. And it sounds like the patterns might be quite common. This you're, you're probably not a freak. If not about this, then about something else. Oh yeah, well, I mean, everyone's a freak about something. But... No, I meant specifically, even if you're not worrying in the middle of the night about mm. your health, you're probably worrying in the middle of the night about something else. Yes, yes. So my question is um, whether it's sort of normal for everyone to have sudden irrational flashes of paranoia that telepathy is real and people can tell what you're thinking. Categorically, yes. Absolutely not. Really? That's All the fucking time. It's not just it's not just oh, flashes no. like my sort of default operating is to assume that everyone can read my thoughts and like shield. Yeah, like, fuck, I just thought that that's really not good. What if they can hear? Yeah, 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 yeah. But also so I mean so so where I want to go with this think about where you came from, think about who might have put this in you. So for instance, I had two very strong kind of childhood things that I think make this make sense. Number one, I had a parent who claimed omniscience when it came to me being bad or doing forbidden behaviours. Mm. Having your parent literally say, if you don't do X, even when I'm not there, I'll know that you've done it and that it is something bad is kind of a big head fuck. Don't do that to your child. But it sort of sets up the idea that other people by default have access to what you think, even if, you know, whether or not they choose to exercise that. And the other thing is, was sort of growing up in there's this concept that I got from the internet a while ago of um, ask culture versus guest culture. And it, it sort of varies depending on your family, but it's, you know, were the people you grew up with people who would tell you what they wanted or ask for what they wanted or ask you what you wanted? Or were they the kind of people who expect everyone around them to guess and anticipate their needs at all times? And my family were very, very, very strongly guest culture. It was like, if you haven't already read our minds, predicted them, behaved accordingly, like you fucked up for not anticipating all of that stuff. Same. So I think that combination of things leaves children kind of open to the idea that people might literally be able to read their thoughts. All of that, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Why, do, why, why are you why not constantly anxious about this? Why did no one tell you could read your mind? I'm the child of an engineer and a teacher, and I think those are both methods of employment that are sort of reliant on understanding how communication works. Mm. And, and that is probably part of my upbringing as a result of that. I'm going to go with that, but also, why would I think people can read my thoughts? Because they're so awful. My thoughts. Oh, I mean, they're, they're plastered across my face for all to see. Yeah. But, I mean, I can often, I can often f- figure out what you're thinking with a f- certain degree of accuracy, which has got to be unsettling now that I know this. I'm going to, <laughs> going to do a lot more of that. That's because we know each other for a very long time. Yes, that's, that's that. And it's that probe you stuck in the back of my neck. Given me a sort of Sherlock Holmes-style pick-the-answer-out-of-the-air thing, but specifically for you when you've had two pints. Mm. <laughs> but that's not telepathy. It might look like it from that's, your perspective. That's just the old 10,000 hours being put in. Mm. I, um, I think it might be worse with sort of intrusive thoughts or things you feel bad about thinking. Yes, uh, so this is... Uh, I know oh, I have no conscience. That might help. That also would help. One of the things I wondered was, is it to do with not exclusively being socialised female, but the way you were brought up to some extent, if there was ever pressure on you to always present a kind of nice or compassionate or very accepting front to the world, like... Also, I mean, there are, especially if you're a woman, there are sometimes situations in which there are threats 
like genuine threats to your own kind of passing and safety you know if you've ever been a woman who's committed the crime of not feigning enough attention when a man is talking there can be very real consequences for letting your true feelings be known and that's again kind of on the slippery slope to people can actively read my mind when the thoughts are bad I think kind of reacquainting myself with theory of mind related stuff as an adult has also been quite useful. I still get like a little free sound of excitement when I realise I can think whatever the heck I want and none of you can actually really understand it or stop me. That's quite nice. I think the other big thing is it can be really, really hard on communication in relationships, especially if you've also internalised to some idea that this is how it is meant to work for everyone. I still find myself pulling the, but you should have just anticipated my needs silently because I've been doing it for everyone for nearly 30 years. Why does no one ever fucking bother to do it to me? That can be quite a persuasive argument inside your mind, even though with a real human on the other side of it, not actually very good. So... If you're having communication problems, and this is also how you tend to think, remember to tell the other person actually what you are thinking and how you feel, because it's probably also not as obvious as you think if you've been shielding your thoughts your whole life, because that also brings some defensive behavioural stuff around. That exact phenomenon is responsible for probably 40% of the rounds in my relationship. I think the other thing to be careful about is it's very easy to get into a and nobody cares because if they did care they would have read my thoughts by now and already done something so the fact that they haven't done something is an explicit positive confirmation that they don't care Mm. as opposed to they're just you never actually gave them a real opportunity to engage with the thing so yeah don't do that either sounds like it's some people it's some people really depends on how you got fucked up when you were young i reckon it's everyone except this fucker this confident man is Skull plate made of impenetrable materials. Let's pat him down for tinfoil. The uh, yet another anonymous questioner wrote in asking, "Is it just me, or does everyone see their boss naked at least once in their working life?" Brackets in a non-sexual context. And I read this and I thought, "What the fuck?" And then I remember that time it happened to me, which was again really daft, non-sexual context. Which was it was one of those bullshit work outing treats that you get if you're in a wanky tech company. We'd all gone whitewater rafting, everyone had to get changed and shower, so I ended up showering with my boss. Not in a kind of weird, erotic, friend fiction sort of way, this was just a, a thing that happened. Put down the Roger Slash fic. <laughs> I thought, well, just a minute, if I thought this was daft and then suddenly realised it had happened to me, and in a perfectly legitimate context, which was we'd gone rafting, yes, that's a bit daft, but perfectly legitimate context, actually, do you know what, why not? So I have calculated the probability of seeing your boss naked at least once in your working life in a non-sexual context. And I've got to say, it's going to happen. So what I did was I pulled the um, 2016 ONS figures for types of industry, Mm. proportion of the workforce employed in types of industry, looped through it to roughly work out what I thought, give or take, was the likelihood that you might have to get changed or get naked at least one point for your job, kind Mm -hmm, of on average. Were you on balance overwhelmingly likely to have to get changed with your boss at some point in your job? If you're doing anything sort of dirty or uniform-based, lifeguarding. Agriculture, forestry, and these are the ONS categories, some of them are a bit baffling. Agriculture, forestry, and fishing, 1.2% of the workforce, I reckon yes. Mining and quarrying, 0.2%, probably yes. Manufacturing, 7.7% on balance, no. Electricity and gas, 0.4%, probably not. Water supply, sewage waste... I don't know, my mum did once have to complain about the Eurobell man pissing against the side of his van in her street, and if they're that free and easy with the street van pissing, who knows what else comes off. Do you want me to add that? No, 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 no. Continue with your calculations. Construction, 6.4%, probably not, although there could be a lot of way lad stuff, but that's me stereotyping, so I'm not going to count it. 
Wholesale and retail trade, 14.8%, not going to count it. Transport and storage, 4.7%, probably not. Accommodation and food service, I reckon this probably includes quite a lot of the leisure sector, I added about mm. half. Information and communication, 4.1%, probably not. Dower office shit, I reckon. You're communicating poorly if your boss is naked, that's yeah. basically a given, that's my job. Financial and insurance activities, 3.3%, probably not, but I reckon there's a lot of broing down and drinking game bollocks, so mm. I added it. Um, real estate activities, 1.6, nah. You can Profession- have empty fucking houses, man. You can be as mm-hmm. nude as you want. But put on their own, I guess. I don't know, maybe. Maybe. Professional scientific... You sci- do have to wear steel toe-cap boots. That is a requirement. Safety, etc. Professional scientific technical activities. I reckon this is where tech sector fits in. I reckon about half of that. Probably go on bullshit outings. I added half. Administrative support and service activities, 8.5%, probably Depends on the service. I've got that one later. Okay, sorry. Um, Public admin and defence, 4.4%, I reckon, on balance, yes. Education, 8.7%, no. Health, social care, 12.5%, quite high. Um, Probably, yes, a lot of changing. Arts, entertainment and recreation, maybe some. That's 3%, I went in about half. Other service activities, 2.7%. I reckon that's where the uh, majority naked stuff fits mm. in. And then there's this category at the end, private households, 0.2%. That can only be gimps and live-in sex butlers, so they get counted, getting counted as well. Double counted, ideally. Yeah. They're getting double counted on a daily basis. Yeah, fuck. Uh, By two counts and a counter. <laughs> so this takes us up to, oh, it's a bit north of 30%. It's around about 30% of the workforce is employed somewhere where, on balance, they're going to get naked with their boss. Now, 2015 poll in The Telegraph suggested that most people have six jobs on average. So basically, you've got six chances at about 30% each of seeing some management dingus. Doesn't have to be dingus. Workforce is still quite badly distributed. Could be some lady parts. Statistically likely to be dingus. Statistically dingus. So, yes, um, it is not just you. According to mathematics, um, most people are probably going to have a pretty decent shot at seeing their boss naked. I just want to say, I've had at least six jobs. I'm not 30 yet. I haven't seen any of my bosses naked. I'm pretty glad about it. I've going to be off had, the charts for millennials. I've had way more than that. And I've worked in four restaurants off the top of my head and I still haven't seen any. I have gone out of my way not to see my ex-boss's dick when he joined my gym. Um, and was on the same schedule as me. And from what I hear, it's like a windsock. So I really, not only have I not seen it so far, that's not the, that makes it sound as though I'm trying, I'm not. I, I'm still broadly with a policy of avoidance. Um, but I have, I have gone out of my way to avoid seeing anyone I've ever worked for in a sexual context. I was, well, no, I was just going to bring in a contention saying that at one point, technically, my dad was my boss's boss's boss. Um, but I actually didn't see him naked until much later when he died. Our next questioner asks, is it just me or does everyone want to be a robot already? Just discard the flesh and set me free. Yes, I know post-humanism is old and laughable, hat, but oh, so sick of having a body. Any thoughts, Lucy? It's not just you, but I tend to go one further than that. Like, why bother having a consciousness at all? Existence is kind of a drag. You may as well do away with the whole thing, not just half of it. Compelling. Mmm. Full. Hard. Um, so I empathise a little bit. I don't know, I... The crux of it is in post-humanism being bollocks, so... 
I love the idea of um, being rid of this fleshy nonsense, but if you look at the kind of folks that are into all of the post-human stuff and the kind of chit-chat involved, I, I just I don't want oh, to be in dude, their world. And even the good implementation, I, I'm afraid of where this goes. So do I... The people that are providing all the visionary shit are not people that you want to trust. Do you want your consciousness to be running on Facebook software? Do you want your emotions to be provided as a plug-in offered by Google with T's and C's that let them keep the data? I don't trust the Silicon Valley utopians. I, I don't trust people that want to plug things into my body. Um, that For I'm, good reason, historically. Yeah. So I like the idea. And I suspect a lot of people might feel this. A lot of people are tired of either living entirely or of just their, you know, squishy carcasses. I wonder if there's a generational thing here as well, because this is a thing I've heard a lot of my friends complaining about, and I've always sort of felt mostly like a brain that happens to be able to walk as mm. a person. But when I brought this up with a previous therapist, you know, I described my body as my meat suit, and she mm. found that language very startling to mm. the point that she brought it up a couple of times subsequently. Whereas to me, it's just like one of those things that you'd say... So she, uh, and I think some of that was her, you know, being a sort of fully integrated person as you would try to be if you were a therapist, hopefully. Some of that is just maybe having actually learned to integrate your body and your mind properly. But I also wonder if some of it is sort of the squeamishness of the older people. You know, we, we are so quick to discard our fleshy meat sex. Folly of youth. I think it's worth saying at this point that when I left one of my old houses, the people who moved in were both working for a local... Uh, company working on transhumanism, posthumanism. They emailed me after about five days, completely unable to work the thermostat. So maybe don't trust these people as technologists. My um, response would be similar to yours. So I would be, I, I think it would be a deal breaker whether or not I get to keep my own brain. I would want the original hardware for that mm. still running. Like, probably some intervention to make sure it goes, keeps working beyond Fast the usual lifespan, yeah. And beyond that, it's really just what sort of robot body are we talking? Like, because if it's a Westworld one, yeah, fine. Do it now. Yeah, just get, get it over with. Um, I'd even go something a bit Futurama. But if it's like a Fallout 4 thing, like basically a tank with a brain in it, I don't... I don't want you don't that. feel as good about that. No. Do you? Would you want the people who are interfacing with your brain to be able to fix the stuff you don't like about your brain, assuming there's any of that, or do you want it like whole and original? No, just leave it as it is. I'll take my. Like, no, I, I don't want it again. I, I wouldn't trust trust someone to no. with it, and I wouldn't trust me to spec out the fix. Fair. I just. I mean, I'm thinking about myself, and I'm like, what's the point of a robot that wants to kill itself? <laughs> be quite good at it. Probably is. That is probably the strap line to at least 18 sci-fi <laughs> novels. <laughs> Lucy, so, the final one. The question that I received was, um, is it everybody, is it just me? When you chew on your toenails, you end up pulling a lump of nail root out. <laughs> and you're not alone, because this happens to me too. <laughs> I read this one and my entire body seized up in cringe. It doesn't happen to me. Well, and I'll tell you for why. Is it the whole foot and mouth coordination <laughs> issue? Because they are six feet apart and not that flexible. So, well, this is the thing. So my, my actual major sort of 
answer to this was if you are still flexible enough to get your foot in your mouth as an adult do you also need tips on managing chronic pain related to hypermobility because that i can help you with sure you know if you can get your foot in your mouth and you're not crippled every time you try to walk and you're my age roughly i want to know what you're smoking because i want some of it too yeah so it might it might well not be just you but for legal reasons we're not allowed to talk to anyone else that flexible so I can totally bite my own toenails. Um, I used to do yoga. I'm quite flexible. I used to bite my toenails when I was at boarding school. Mm-hmm. But I think that was mostly a kind of teenage boys being a bit gross thing. Yeah, I never really grew out of that. And mm. the first, like, it's a testament to his love because the first couple of times Day saw me doing that, he just couldn't believe that any person did it. <laughs> it's, it it's the nail root bit. That, uh, Sorry, there's just something about that that pushes my buttons. Mm. Right. What's the stuff down? It's the the tuggy bits down the sides. I oh, assume we're talking about. Yeah, that's, that's not a good. I mean, the whole thing. No. Oh, oh. Um, but I, I wondered maybe because if if you'd sort of there's something a bit primal about it. Mm. Your, I wonder. It's very satisfying if it's the only way you've ever known. Is it? Is it possible? Is it just possible? This person is doing this because they don't know nail clippers exist. Nail clippers are the devil. I hate them so no much. Scissors? scissors? Okay, the trouble is, I find I really hate having any pressure or torsion applied to my nails that isn't directly from my own body. Okay. So scissors and clippers both give a sort of twisting force that feels alien because it's um. metal and harder and stronger. Whereas okay. with my teeth, I can control the pressure a lot more accurately. Although uh, these days, it's like I've got about five seconds to get it off before my hips start seizing up. <laughs> You're not the only hopeless fuck-up with their toes still in their mouth, don't worry. You're definitely not alone. And the world is darker for it. But it proper squicks me out. (laughs) Well, hopefully that was helpful for everyone. Except Roger. Except Roger. I don't feel help, but we're not here to help me. No. No, that'd be a much harder podcast. (laughs) And with that, we bid you farewell. If you would like to be fixed, or to tell us one of the things you can get in touch at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com. We will return next week with more of your confessions.